Praise God. This is a new series on our identity in Christ, who you are, who you are. So actually the title is who are you, but it's who you are or who are, do you know who you are? I'll say this, none of us do. I'm just starting, including myself. We are getting to know who we are, but none of us know to the extent of how God knows us. Amen. And let me just say this. Uh, we, we have this image in our mind of who we are by our own thought process or by people's input, our parents, our peers, our friends, everybody who says, you know, well, this is who you are. The world tries to tell you who you are. And then you build an image inside your mind of who you are. Uh, did you know God is the only one qualified to tell you who you are? Amen. I'm going to say it again. God is the only one that is qualified to tell you who you are because he created you. So don't you, we have to tear down these images and we have to tear down things that we've built up and that people have helped us and the devil accommodated us, but those need to be torn down. And so, uh, God did this throughout the Bible. Gideon, it was hiding, you know, from the enemy and God has an angel show up in front of him and says, Gideon, you great mighty man of valor. He's hiding from the enemy. I'm not going to call him a coward, but he was definitely not, you know, super brave Marvel hero type guy. You know what I mean? But God called him that. Why? Because that's God. And guess what? He fulfilled that after God called him that. He fulfilled that. The same way with so many people in the Bible. Abram, he says your name's Abraham because... I see you as the father of many nations. He had zero kids at the time, zero. So it goes on and on. Peter, he was Simon. He says, you're Peter. You're going to be a rock. So God wants you and I to know who we are so we can have and walk, have everything that he has given us. But even as 1 John 4, 17 says, walk even as he walked. Just like he is, so are we in this earth. But um, this is the thing that I am learning, that we have to surrender to what God says about us. We have to surrender to that. Because it's hard when you've got this image in your mind, and then you read something in the Bible that says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm holy, I'm sanctified, I'm set apart from God, for God. You read that, and then your brain goes, ha, you are not righteous. You are this, and you're that. You can't do anything. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And so you have to surrender to what God says instead of surrendering to what you have made in your mind or what people have told you you are. It's a process, I know. It is a process, but... Uh, the works of the, the, that the devil has done on us and to us, through us and everything, the Bible says that Jesus came and he destroyed those works. I think one of the biggest works that was destroyed was just the definition of what the devil means. Devil means false accuser. False accuser. So anything that you say about yourself, you say, well, man, it's true. No, it's not. No, it is not. What God, the devil's not qualified. You're not even qualified. 
God is the only one qualified to tell you who you are. So that's why we have to go to the Word. We have to listen to Him to see who we truly are. So uh, I know it's a big deal when then, I don't know if you two can see this. Can you see this board? I'm going to move the whole world so you can see it. Everybody see it over there? So God, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that he created everything. He saw the light and the light was good. He uh, created uh, he created uh, all of the plant life, and he said all the plant life is good. He created the ocean and everything in the ocean, and he said it was good. Created all the critters, all the animals, and he said it was good. Created man in his own image, Genesis. They were pulling it up there, chapter 1, verse, what is it, 27, that God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female created them. So man was created in the image of God. One translation said, even in the likeness of God. So the very first sin uh, was not the sin of disobedience. The very first sin was Adam and Eve did not believe they were created in the image of God. They didn't believe they were like God, you know, because Satan told them, if you do this, if you partake of the fruit, then you'll be like God. He must have been very convincing, deceiving crafty in his words that Adam and Eve, even though they were created in the very image of God, they were like God. Is everybody on that same page? Everybody understand that Adam and Eve were like God? And yet the devil convinced them that you have to do something to become like God. And the lie still continues today. He's convinced many church people that you have to do something to become like God. Even to get even God to like you, you have to do something. When you and I are created in the image of God, right now, today, right where you sit, right where you're sitting watching, you are like God. I know a lot of people go, (laughs) God's the only one qualified to tell you who you are. And he says, I created you in the image and likeness of me. So anyway, God says, I'm pouring out all of my goodness to the earth, to creation. And he said it was good. And then after he created everything, he said it, he looked at everything that he created and he said, it is very good. I mean, it wasn't just good. I mean, when God says, man, you're You are very good. Everything is very good. So we have everything in creation that is very, very good. And so after Adam and Eve believed that they were not like God, what happened? Sin came into the world. Let me just say this. God poured out his, I meant to do this. goodness to the earth. God is good. He pours out his goodness to the earth. He says it's all good. But then Adam and Eve sin. They sin. And what does sin bring to the earth? In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says that the curse came over all of the earth. 
Everything was cursed. And so part, or we're not going to go into Deuteronomy chapter 28, but part of that was sickness. Part of that was poverty. And then, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Your relationships will be cursed. Everything that is bad came from the curse. Everything that is bad came from the curse. So, but sin is what brought all of this stuff into this world. For years of my preaching, which I don't think it's wrong, but at the same time, for years of my preaching and preaching that I've heard, you know, uh, we attack these things. We attack everything that sin brought into the earth, which was the curse, which was sickness and poverty. And let me just say this. I, I sense this. I should have said I didn't say anything the first service. But, you know, when people think they're, they're struggling in these areas, then they feel condemned. If you ever feel condemned, you're wrong. You're wrong to think that way. Romans 8, chapter 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Then you should never feel condemned. My point of teaching that, you know, that we shouldn't be sick is not to put condemnation on you. My point of teaching you this is so that I'm going to believe that so I won't accept sickness and live in sickness and poverty and lack. So everybody say, I'm never going to feel condemned when pastor preaches. All right. So this is what I was, you know, I, I've been attacking sickness and poverty and all these things. But the culprit is this. Because that's where everything came from. And so the church may have caught on to this. And so what did the church do? We preach, you don't sin. You better not sin. You sin. You sinner. You sin. And it just concentrated on sin. And so I know that whatever you behold and focus on, you make room for. <laughs> so we've been accommodating preachers, including myself, have been accommodating the devil for decades. Why? We focus on sin. We've been a do doing a good job of that. We've been making room for all kinds of sin. We have. You remember the story in, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? They were in the wilderness traveling on their way to the promised land. They got, I'm keeping my hands in my pockets because the heater is struggling today. <laughs> Maybe 80 where you're at. It's six degrees here in Pueblo, Colorado. Anyway, uh, the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. They begin to moan, groan, complain. You know, and all of a sudden, snakes begin to bite. Poisonous snakes begin to bite them. And so God told Moses to make a, a serpent, a bronze serpent, and put it on a pole and put it up in the air. And everybody who focuses on that will be delivered from the snakes. If they've been bitten, they'll be healed. They'll be totally delivered from the snakes. But they can't focus on the snake. They have to focus on the serpent on the pole, which represents the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself said, that was me. 
Because Jesus was on the cross, he became cursed, he bore sin, he became sin, he bore everything that curse is. So he says, if you focus on the pole, the snakes won't have anything to do with you. If you focus on what the goodness of God has done, this will not have anything to do with you. And if sin, listen to me now, if sin has no power over your life, then sickness, poverty, anything, lack, anything to do with the curse will not have any power over your life. Does that make sense? So this is why the Lord has been really just trying to teach me about sin that it, it does not, it's been defeated. Sin has been defeated. It has no power over mankind whatsoever. If you get a revelation of that, Guess where else you're going to have victory? You're going to have victory in the area of health. You're going to have victory in the area of your finances. You're going to have victory in your relationships. You're going to have victory in every area of your life. Once you and I get a revelation that sin does no longer have any power over me whatsoever. Jesus became sin. He buried it and he was resurrected in a new body and we were resurrected with him. Free from sin. You say, well, people still sin. I still sin. I still sin. But this is what you have to see. This is what you have to see. Every time that Paul talked about sin in the epistles, he said to repent, which doesn't mean to ask for forgiveness. It means you're thinking like this, that you're a sinner. He says you need to do a 180 and know that's not what you are. So every time you and I sin, we're not thinking right. We are not thinking right. We think that, oh, yeah, I'm just a sinner. I just, I can't get the victory over this. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to think. You can't get victory over sin. Oh, we just need to keep trying. That's the devil, man. You just need to keep trying to get victory over sin. Pastor, I, I, I'm sinning, and so I just feel like I need to get victory over it. That's because you need to repent, which means you need to change the way that you think. You're thinking this way. You need to think the way that God thinks about you. What does God think about you? You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're sanctified. You're holy unto me. That's what God says about you. This is the way God sees you, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his blood. And so when we get a revelation of this, that sin no longer has power over me because, why? First of all, it's because of the goodness of God. It's because of the goodness of God. And if you don't think God is good, then you're going to continually think that, man, sin does have power over me. Sin does have power over me. So I know that God is pleased with you and me today, 100%. He is. And when we focus on the goodness of God, when we focus on the goodness of God, all of a sudden you start making room on the inside of you for that goodness to be manifested on the outside. We're focusing on the wrong thing. It's a simple, simple message. But God put all of his goodness on the inside of you and me when you got born again. He put all of his goodness on the inside of you and me. All of that he is got put inside of you. 
And so when we understand this, and that's why, you know, like four years ago, um, I, I mentioned this, but um, I, I said it in a conference last week, and, and it, I just thought, man, I need to say it again in our church. About four years ago, I went to this high-rise building right around the corner. It's a, a rehab-type place or something. I'm not for sure. I went to see somebody from our church in there. And so I go to this place, and I visit them, and I'm walking out. And right as I walk out outside the front door, there was a man in a wheelchair with a person, you know, who was just going to push him. And I walked right past him. I was walking to my truck, and all of a sudden, you know, I just heard inside, you know, you need to pray for him. And I thought, I don't know if that's God or not. As if the devil could, could tell you that. I'm being really transparent, you know. So, I mean, I'm the pastor, and sometimes I don't even think, right, oh, my goodness. Yeah, like, and I did think that, I thought. So I kept walking, and part of the reason was I was in a hurry, and I thought, I'm in a hurry, and no, you need, and it kept getting stronger and stronger. Every step I took, the stronger it got. You need to go pray for that man. Went, okay. Turned back around. I walked, and I had expectation. I had to smile on my face. I thought, glory to God, man, just we're going to see something here. So I stuck my hand out to him to say, hey, buddy, how you doing? Can I pray for you? He jerked back, started cussing and swearing and everything. He says, no, God is the one who put me in this wheelchair. So I smiled. I said, buddy, no. I said, God is good. He's a good father. Any good father would not put you in this. So he kept saying all these adjectives, and it just kept going and going, and so we kept going back and forth, and finally, after a few minutes, I thought, okay, I think we're done here, and he basically told me we were done as well, so I said, okay, yeah, we're done, so I walked back to my truck, and so I got in my truck, and I thought, first, my heart was just wrenched to think, my heavenly father, somebody thinks that about him. You imagine somebody really that you're close to that's a good part, your spouse, a good friend, and they and somebody said, Well, you know, they they murder people and they kill people and they do this and they do that. You go, What? No way. You would want to defend them, wouldn't you? And so that was the first reaction. Then my second reaction is, wow, Mike, for a time for you to miss it, you missed it big time that time. I mean, I th- that was not God. That must just have been bad breakfast or something because that was not God for because of the result that happened it couldn't be God and then the spirit of God just filled my truck and said that was me Mike I told you to pray for him because I wanted you to know what people are thinking about me and it is very common what that man said to you is very common for the general population what they think about me and so I'm giving you a mandate to change the way people think about me. So that's your job. That's my job. We need to change the way people think about God. Why? Because God is good. He's good. He is good. And we'll get into some things because I know some bad things happen, and we'll get into that next week. We won't have enough time today. But I, I know bad things happen to good people. You go, well, if God's good... We'll get to that next week, so you have to come back next week. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. 
This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The Passion Translation says it this way. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people, and God wants everyone to know it. You know, in Psalms, I believe it's 34, maybe 38, 34 around in there, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, you know, if you try to explain to people like what ice cream tastes like, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it my best shot because that is, I'm pretty sure there's going to be ice cream in heaven. But anyway, it is so good. And, but if I just sit there and say, well, you know what? It's, it's, it's cold and it's, and it's just super sweet and it's just the flavor. It's just, it's just good. You, you would get no idea by me telling you about ice cream how it really tastes. You, you wouldn't get an idea. So what, what could you do? You need to experience it so that you could for yourself know how good it truly is. So you would taste and see how good ice cream is. Once you lick it, you go, wow. It could be a spiritual experience for some of you. But anyway, I mean... It, it is so good, but you have to taste and see. So this is the point of what David was trying to say. If you're going to experience the goodness of God, you're going to have to taste and see. In other words, he says you need to have a personal experience of God. And I don't just mean about getting saved. I mean every day of your life, we need to experience how good God is. How good God is. And you don't just read about it. It needs to be something that happens to you. It needs to be your experiential thing. Like I said, I can talk about ice cream. If somebody says, there's a new, I remember Chad, it was about, was that a year ago, two years ago? I don't know how long. He says, Pastor, you got, there's a new, have you ever heard of cook, uh, cookie two-step? Is that what it's called? Cookie two-step. I said, cookie what? He says, you got to eat cookie two-step. It's It's amazing. He told me that on a Sunday, on my way home, <laughs> I stopped and got me some cookie two-step because he tried to explain to me what it's like. I said, well, what is it like? And he told me, but it was just like what I'm saying. You know, God is so good. He's the most awesome thing. Oh, he's just so kind. He's just so loving. He's just so free. He's just so this, but you got to experience it. So I wanted to experience cookie two-step. I did. And it was like a spiritual experience. It was just heaven came down and goodness filled my soul. If you've never had it, I can't even explain it to you. You just need to taste and see for yourself. <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is what I know about just like that man that was in a wheelchair. If you think, listen to me now, this is going to be the main point. If you think God is judgmental towards you, if you think God is critical towards you, if you think that God's love is based upon your performance or your lack of it, any of those things, you're probably going to relate 
to people in the same manner. So, what do people think? God's going to judge you. You know, God's really critical and he's just going to get you. He's just going to get you. And if we think that God, our Heavenly Father, is judgmental, if he's critical of us, if uh, his love or his blessings, any of his blessings are based upon our performance, then you're going to think, well, I'm not good enough then because I do mess up every once in a while, so his blessings aren't for me, at least not all of them. But if you think that way, there's going to be a hindrance because the goodness of God is not going to be able just to manifest itself on the inside of you because you've been hindered about, you've got a filter on how God thinks about you. The problem with that, it's going to affect your relationships because that's what you think about God. So that's going to be part of, it's not part of your DNA, but you're going to think that way. Are you hearing me? And so the church becomes critical, judgmental. And I know people, you know, like when Katrina hit, I mean, the, the social media blew up. God is pouring out his judgment upon America. Really? It's not like we, because this earth is cursed with hurricanes and they happen to hit. And uh, so hurricanes and tornadoes are on this planet, and it has nothing to do with the judgment of God. I said nothing. Absolutely nothing. Has nothing to do with it. And I point out the story, you know, of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. God was going to pour out his judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, he's talking with Abraham that he's going to do this, you know, and he's, you know, he knows uh, lots there. And so if there's five righteous people, I won't do it. I won't do it. Well, there was not five righteous people, but there was lot. And even in that whole scenario, God does not even want his judgment to be poured out upon lot. So he gets him out of there. So basically, there are zero righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the righteous or the judgment came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And here we are in America. I'm pretty sure there's more than one righteous person. I said, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking that there's more than one righteous person. So you're telling me that God's going to pour out his judgment upon America? Number one, but number two, the biggest part is God poured out his judgment upon Jesus upon the cross. That's where judgment is. And it will be poured out again for everyone who does not receive the first acceptance of judgment being poured out upon Jesus. You know, because the Bible says in the end, you know, his wrath's going to be poured out. You say, well, I thought he, his judgment did. It's only for those who did not accept, accept the first payment. Jesus paid everything in full. A document stamped in by his blood paid in full. You and I will never experience the wrath of God. You and I will never experience the judgment of God. You and I will never experience anything critical coming from God. So if you're sensing that, that God is doing that, that is the false accuser, otherwise known as the devil, that's talking to you. That is such a free. That is such a free. So, so how much do you think that God really loves you? How much do you think that God really loves you? 
Let me ask you this. How much do you think Jesus loves God the Father and God the Father loves Jesus? How much do how much you think that connection is? How much love is there? Pretty strong? John chapter 15, verse 9. This is a passion translation. It says, I love each of you with the same love. Everybody say the same love. Same love that the Father loves me. So Jesus is saying, I love you the same love that my Father loves me. That's pretty intense love. You must continually let my love nourish your heart. What do you have to do? Continually let God's love nourish your heart. I don't nourish my heart with what I am not. Ah, uh, this is good. If you focus on, well, I'm not this and I'm not that, that will not nourish your heart. That will not nourish your heart. What did God, what did Jesus say will nourish your heart? How much he loves you. We'll read it again. I love you. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually, continually. So this is something you don't just do on Sunday morning. You must continually let, you have to let my love nourish your heart. That's why we can say, I'm strength. I am strong in the Lord and the power is might. I can only do that if I'm focusing on the love that God has for me, the love that Jesus has for me. My heart, my body, you know, when I partake of food, it nourishes my body. When I focus on the love of God, it will nourish every part of and every area of your life. The love of God is what will nourish you. But if you're focusing on sin, all of a sudden when you're focusing on sin, this will cause inroads of these things to happen to your life. Sickness and poverty and lack. But if you focus on the goodness of God and understand that he's good, that he loves you, that's going to nourish you. Or we could say it this way, just like food nourishes you, it strengthens your body. The love of God strengthens you. Therefore, you can say what Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul understood how much God loved him. That's why he could say, I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's why he got snake could bite him and him shake it off. That's why he could be shipwrecked in the ocean for a day and a night and come out and say, everything is good with my soul. Everything's good with my life. I mean, Paul, you just look at Paul and you think he had several concussions. For anybody to, to, to pin what he says, oh, I can do all things. I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm victorious in all things. And he just, I'm a victor. I, I'm just more than a conqueror. And you go, man, you have been pulled through a knot hole backwards, man. I mean, you've just been beat upside the head. I think you, your mama dropped you on your head or something. But I mean, he just, a lot of stuff was going on. But he didn't do, what did he focus on? He focused and he was nourished by how much Jesus loved him. Man, that is so good. But anyway, he said that, uh, and, and I hear people say this. Let me just back up. I hear people say this, and I'm not being critical, but I'm just saying we need to be educated in this area because I've prayed this. Father, just pour out your glory. Just, just show me your glory. Pour out your glory, you know, because that's what Moses prayed. 
Moses prayed that. So we should just, let's just hook up with Moses. No, we need to hook up with Jesus. We need to hook up with Jesus. But, you know, because the, the story in the Bible, Moses said, show me your glory, God. And God accommodated him. The Bible says he put him in a cleft of a rock, you know, a crevice. He put him in that. He says, I'm going to pass by but I'm going to put my hand in front of you so you can't see my front parts and you'll see my back parts and then all of my goodness will pass in front of you. In other words, glory and goodness were the same terms according to God. If you want the glory to show up, it means it's the goodness that shows up. And so we pray that, Lord, oh, like Moses, let's pray that. No. The only time that goodness should be passing people is when a person who is filled with Jesus, which means that you are filled with his goodness. You are filled with his goodness. And so when you pass by some unbeliever, they go, whoa, the goodness of God, goodness, something's about that person, man. I believe that's how people in this city are going to be changed. Pueblo is going to be changed. I said Pueblo is being changed, even as we speak, even as we speak. That's one thing I got from the conference. The Lord just blew that up. I mean, it was like a nuclear bomb went off on the inside of me that God says, Mike, I want you to see Pueblo change. I want you to see it changed. It's not a stepchild city. It's not a city that's known for pot. It's not a city that's known for just blue collar. It's not a city known for this. This is going to be a city where the goodness of God is known. I said, this is going to be a city where the goodness of God is known. But you got to think that. you got to talk that. you got to believe that. Amen? So in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 17, you know, he said, Moses said, the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken for you. I found grace in my sight. Have you found grace in God's sight? Have you found grace in God's sight? So Moses says, I want to make sure that I've found grace in your sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to you. I will be gracious and have compassion to whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, nor man see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and you will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you will not be seen. You know, in Psalms 23, a very popular Psalms, it says, Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And we hold on to that. Honey, there's something far better than surely goodness and mercy following you. It's surely goodness and mercy is in you. When I wake up in the morning, surely goodness and mercy wake up with me. When I go to bed, surely goodness and mercy wake up with me. When I go to work, when I do anything, when I work in my yard, surely goodness and mercy are in me 24-7. It's not following me. It has overtaken me and dwells on the inside of me. I'm wall to wall. Goodness and mercy. My feet, my toes, they even got goodness and mercy in them. You just need to believe that. If the devil can just keep us living in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that was, that was a foreshadow of what God wanted to do. 
It was a foreshadow. So we read with, a, and there's so much symbolism about Jesus and his love and what he wanted to do. So you read the Old Testament to embrace that, but don't embrace what they, oh, I just wish we were back there. No! Who wants to go to an ark and cut up a bunch of cows and goats and so I, I ain't cutting up nothing. I'm going to the butcher place and say, wrap it in paper. I don't even want to see it. You know what I mean? But I mean, that is not the, we are living in the new covenant with better promises in the greatest day that planet earth has ever seen. Because we are getting a revelation of who we are in Christ. We're getting a revelation. Our eyes are being opened up to how the way that God sees you and me. And it's not based upon what we do, our performance, what I have done. It's based upon what Jesus has done for me, and now I'm inside of him. And Jesus is inside of me. We have become one. You and Jesus have become one. You have to see yourself that way, and it just makes your little brain go tilt. Because you say, I see my faults. I see my issues. Pastor, I have issues. Let me give you a big secret. I have issues. Just don't ask my wife, but she knows. She, she will verify it. Yes, he does. He has issues. We all have issues. But you cannot focus on the snakes that are crawling around and everything, you have to focus what the serpent on the pole, what he said. Why? Because that's where your healing comes from. That's where your victory comes from. That's where your deliverance comes from. Focusing on what Jesus has done for you and me. You have to focus on that and believe and confess, I am what God says I am. I am righteous. I am righteous. You are righteous today because of Jesus, not because... I read my Bible every day, seven days this week, so I am really in good shape with God. No, you're in no better shape than you were when you didn't read. But this is the key. You need to read your Bible so you understand how God sees you. It's a whole different, you know, we can't read and study and spend time with the Father to become something. That's the same lie. That Adam and Eve embrace. I have to eat this fruit. I have to do something to become like God. It's the same lie. It's just wrapped in different wrapping paper. Now the church just wraps it in. Well, you need to pray more and you need to, you know, read your Bible more. And you, It's just wrapped in a different paper, but it all means I have to do this so I can become this. It's a lie. I read, I, I spend time with God. You, I, I love, because this is what God shows me. That's why I can't, man, I love spending time with the Father because he just shows me that. Man, I've been praying and he says, Mike, this whole sin issue is just really needs to be uh, understood in the church. And I said, amen. What is it? What do you want us to understand? He says, I want the church to understand that this has been conquered and defeated and is no longer an issue on planet earth, period. I've dealt with it. It's a done deal. And because that's a done deal, these are done deals. Why does God want us to understand that and know that? Because he's a good father, and a good father wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to have, know that you have every need met. He wants your life to be good and sweet on planet earth. 
Instead, the earth is just, we just are living. Oh, Jesus, please come today because I don't want to face tomorrow. That's not what God wants for you and me. He wants us to understand his goodness. And if we have a revelation of his goodness, all of a sudden sin loses its power on your life and on my life. <laughs> Just like Jesus said. He said, you know, the devil's coming. When Judas was coming to betray him. But he said this, he has nothing in me or on me. He has nothing. In other words, I mean, it's just like a fly, shoe fly. He has nothing. The devil is coming. He says, but I, he's not going to be able. He couldn't even take Jesus. You remember what Jesus did? He said, whom seek ye? And all of them just went, they just got blown away. They were all knocked down, slain in the, wasn't in the spirit. They were just slain. They were knocked on their backside. You know what that was? That was just like God saying, you can't touch this. You cannot touch this. Knocked them on their fanny, and they go, you know, what just happened? God wants you to know. Listen to me. He wants you to know. Sin is on this planet, but it has nothing in me. Sin has nothing on me. When you sin, it still has no power over you. You just need to repent. You need to change the way that you think. But it still has no power over you. You see what I'm trying to tell you? I'm really trying to get you. Sin has no power over us. And if we have a revelation of that, you will understand. You'll start walking in health better than you ever have. When you understand that sin has no power over you, you'll start prospering better than you ever have. When you understand that sin has no power over you, you'll have better relationships. You'll have a better work ethic. You'll have just a sweeter life altogether because sin has lost its power. Sin came into this world to cause death and destruction, poverty and lack. And once you understand that sin has been broken, therefore I, thanks be to God, who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Woo! Can you say amen? This is the gospel. It's the good news. It's what the world is crying out for. It's what Pueblo needs. Pueblo needs to know that, you know what, if you just know, if you don't get straight, you're going to go to hell. No, they need to know. Hey, you know what, buddy? All of your sins have been forgiven. Did you know all your sins, every wrong you've ever done, it's already been forgiven. It's already been forgiven. You go, what? Everything that you've done wrong, everything that you will be doing wrong, been done wrong it's okay it's been taken care of you just need to accept Jesus the payment's been paid in full it's the good news what are you saying I don't have to change don't have to change a thing you can't change you just need to come to the one who can change you you need to come to the one who will transform you but sin is no longer an issue And sin will never be an issue. I know. You know, I've gotten more criticism over the last four years about preaching about how good God is than all of the years before that, preaching that you better quit sinning, you better straighten up, you better... I mean, I've got sermon after sermon about that. I get hardly very little criticism. I start preaching about how God good, good, how 
good God is. I've got more criticism in the last four years, probably in the last 20 years. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God's not counting your sins against you. God is not even writing down one single sin. He's not writing down a single sin. And I used to think I, I had a, a, the National Congress Library. But God was going to be sweet about it. He was going to say, Mike, these are all of your sins that I've forgiven you. They're all recorded. And this is the whole, you got a whole branch. And I thought that. I thought, oh, yeah. But, you know, thank God they're all forgiven. You know, God forgave me. There's not even going to be a sticky note up in heaven on me or you. Are you hearing me? Let's stand. Why? Why did God, is he not writing down your sin? Because he wants you to know sin no longer has any power over you. Why would he write something down that's been defeated? Why would he write something down that's already been conquered? Why would he write something down that has no power whatsoever? Why would he write something down that would, would try to hinder you or me? So he says, I'm not even writing them down. I don't know about you, but that just makes me feel good that everything that I've done wrong, there's no record of it. Woo! I've got a friend, Billy Wayne, who's, who did the Wealth Builders last weekend. He says this to all of us. We're all a team up there. And he says, he tells us, he says, if it's not written, it doesn't exist. I told him, I said, you got that from God. What? 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God's not writing down any of our sin. Therefore, it does not written. There it is. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In the Greek, that's actually a counting term. It's an accounting term, which means that it is documentation. It says there's no documentation. It doesn't measure up anymore when it comes to your sins with God. If you will embrace that truth, I guarantee you, you'll sin a lot far less. I'm not saying you're not going to sin, but I will know this. And then once you do, it'll be so much easier for you to repent. What do I mean by repent? Not to ask for forgiveness. It would be so much easier for you to change the way that you think and find out who you really are. Because that's why we sin. We just don't know us. You don't know yourself. The more you understand, this is a foundation of who we are in Christ. The foundation is this. Sin has nothing on me. Sin has absolutely nothing on me. You know, that's just bad news for the devil. He's been holding that over my head for decades. He's been holding it over the world's heads for decades that this powerful thing sin and you do it so because you sin you are not where God wants you to be oh I know and then we put on sackcloth and ashes and beat ourselves up I'm just a terrible Christian I'm such a terrible Christian I may not even be a Christian I don't know you hear Christians talk like that and the devil's going and God says I'm not counting your sins against you there's not a record of your sins not even a record